if you know your deer, you can set up different areas and you'll take that deer. Don't never not hunt because of the wind. Mm. Just move your place where you're hunting. And that's helped me more than anything. There's not a bad day, rainy day, stormy day, cold day. The best day to be in the woods is every day. Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 258. Chris Cordell, the single season double slam, staging a comeback. Support for the Big Buck Registry and the Deer Hunt Podcast comes from Rackology. Everything you need in one bag. Hunters Blend Coffee, defending hunting one cup at a time. Finally, there's a coffee that helps rather than hurts your freedom to hunt. Polar Works Coolers and the Chill Zone. Specializing in the most durable, reliable thermal cups and coolers. Keep your drinks hot or cold in any element. Covert scouting cameras. Remote cameras for hunting, wildlife, and security. Black Ash Outdoor Products. Reduce your risk of tree stand suspension trauma with a tree stand wingman. The Tree Stand Emergency Descender System. Morse's Sporting Goods. A full line of sporting goods without the sales tax. And Big Buck Merch. You can get cool, high-quality Big Buck t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and hoodies and show support for this podcast by visiting www.bigbuckregistry.com forward slash M-E-R-C-H. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hey, this is Adam Hayes from Team 200 and TheMoonGuy.com, and you're about to push play on one of my favorite podcasts, the Big Buck Registry. Hi, this is Ben Rising with Whitetail Edge. Sit tight because you're about to listen to the best podcast that you possibly can listen to, the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. Hi, this is Dan Infold from HuntingBeast.com. You're about to listen to one of my favorite podcasts, Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen and fellow predators. My name is Jay, and thank you for tuning in to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. For Dusty Phillips and Jim Keller and the entire staff here at the Big Buck Registry, welcome to this week's show. There are a couple things I'd like you to do for us if you could. If you would, please check us out on iTunes, subscribe, and leave us a review. With your help, we're going to try and push this show up the iTunes charts. I know we have a lot of listeners out there, and I need you to take some action. I need you to leave a review and subscribe to the show. If you do subscribe, that'll give you access and notification each and every week that a new show is released. You can also access this show in its entirety on YouTube, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, and as an Amazon Alexa skill. Go to Alexa and say, Alexa, enable Big Buck Registry. It's all right there for you to access on demand at your fingertips. Regarding the harness program, we have an ample supply of harnesses to give away from our volunteer donors. If you're in need of a full-body harness, please send an email to j at bigbuckregistry.com. In 1977, Chris Cordell began a career as a professional deer hunter. He is the first and only hunter in the world to complete a double slam in one season and has tagged in over 200 whitetails, not to mention placing over 30 Pope and Young whitetails on his wall. Oh, and that was done before the age of 35. Chris is also an outdoor writer, product designer, 
an inventor of various archery products for the hunting industry. Away from the spotlight for a while, Chris is poised for a comeback and wants nothing more than to help hunters hunt better. His favorite quote, let them grow. We like that. We'll get to our entire interview with Chris Cordell in just one moment. But before we do, let's hear from our new sponsors, Rackology, our friends at PolarWorks Coolers, and Jim Keller with the Deer News. Here's Jason Obermiller talking about the origins of Rackology. I couldn't find it on the market, so I knew I had to make it myself. All the other hunters out there that are plain Joes just like us, they deserve to be able to also get the same thing we've got. Instead of paying 30 or 40 bucks for an attractant and a protein and another 20 or 30 for your mineral, and you know, by the time you start adding up stuff, you've got a lot of money and less than 50 pounds. I wanted to make it as cheap as humanly possible. If you'd like to check out more about this product, go to rackology.org. That's R-A-C-K-O-L-O-G-Y dot O-R-G. I always wanted one of those high-end coolers because of the quality that I had heard of, but I couldn't justify the price. Then I found Polar Works. Finally, I found a company that understands quality and affordability. The Polar Works lineup is extensive and is filled with Polar Cups, Polar Tubs, and Polar Soft Coolers. So check out PolarWorks.com when you're considering your next high-quality cooler without breaking the bank. That's www.polarworkz.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Our first story this week, Michigan sets new deer hunting rules to limit chronic wasting disease. This story is from the MLive.com website and was reported by Julie Mack. New deer hunting rules to limit the spread of chronic wasting disease have been approved by the Michigan Department of Natural Resource Commission, according to the Michigan Department of Natural Resources. The regulations include new restrictions on baiting and feeding. The rules, which will go into effect for the 2018 deer hunting season, were adopted after months of collecting comment from stakeholders, the DNR press release said. The disease first was discovered in Michigan in a free-ranging deer in May 2015. More than 31,000 deer in Michigan have been tested since for CWD, and 60 cases have been confirmed in six Michigan counties. Those counties are Clinton, Ingham, Ionia, Jackson, Kent, and Montcalm. The regulations were developed by a nine-member chronic wasting disease working group, whose work included public hearings in Bay City, Cadillac, Detroit, DeWitt, Gaylord, Houghton, Iron Mountain, Kalamazoo, Marquette, Newberry, and Rockford. More than 650 people attended the public meetings, and the DNR received comments and suggestions via 361 hard copy surveys and 135 online surveys. Details on all regulations will be added to the online hunting digests on the DNR website, and DNR staff will be available at deer check stations during the hunting seasons, according to the DNR press release. More information about these regulations will be posted on the michigan.gov slash cwd website. For additional questions, contact the DNR Wildlife Division at 517-284-9453. An invasive new tick is spreading in the U.S. This story is from the New York Times website and reported by Donald G. McNeil Jr. For the first time in 50 years, a new tick species has arrived in the United States, one that in its Asian home range carries fearsome diseases. The Asian longhorn tick 
is spreading rapidly along the eastern seaboard. It has been found in seven states and in the heavily populated suburbs of New York City. At the moment, public health experts say they are concerned but not alarmed. Although domestic American ticks are a growing menace and transmit a dozen pathogens, no longhorn ticks have been found with any human diseases. In Asia, however, the species carries a virus that kills 15% of its victims. For now, the new arrivals are considered a greater threat to livestock. Known in Australia as bush ticks and in New Zealand as cattle ticks, longhorn ticks can multiply rapidly and suck so much blood from a young animal that it dies. The ticks bloat up like fat raisins until their tiny legs are barely able to support them. After a blood meal, females can lay hundreds of fertile eggs without mating. One tick can crank out females in fairly large numbers, said Thomas Ewell, a retired pathobiologist at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, who was one of the first to raise alarms about the invaders. The first longhorn tick was found last summer in western New Jersey. This summer, they were collected in public parks and golf courses in Bergen, Union, and Middlesex counties in New Jersey and in wooded, grassy areas of New York's Westchester County. They were reported in Pennsylvania for the first time last week and have been sighted in Arkansas, North Carolina, Virginia, and West Virginia. They were found feeding on horses, dogs, deer, a calf, a sheep, and an opossum. They do bite humans, but it is not clear how often. People should use the same precautions they do against domestic tick, experts said, such as using repellents and checking for ticks after walking through the woods or tall grass. Drury Outdoors launches game-changing DeerCast hunting app. This story is from the OutdoorHub.com website. Deer hunters rejoice. There's an app you can download to your cell phone that can help make you a better bow hunter. Drury Outdoors introduces DeerCast, a revolutionary new smartphone app that promises to be a real game-changer for the upcoming whitetail season. DeerCast combines information that Mark and Terry Drury have been using to predict deer activity for over 70 years, along with hour-by-hour, real-time, algorithm-driven deer movement forecasts for your precise location. The app matches your local weather information with the distinct characteristics of each of the 13 phases of whitetail season to deliver a forecast of peak deer movement custom to wherever your deer stand hides. DeerCast has virtually everything you need to get ahead of the game, and it's completely free during this first year. Get it for iOS or Android beginning August 28, 2018. Wisconsin Deer Metric System places important data at your fingertips. This story is from the Wisconsin DNR website. A new deer metric system provides for a unique opportunity to take a detailed look at how county deer advisory councils and the Department of Natural Resources work closely with the public to manage Wisconsin's deer herd. Metrics provided in the system include deer harvest figures, population trends, deer impacts on agriculture and forest resources, herd history, deer herd health, deer hunter surveys, and more for the area you hunt. To check out this new webpage and learn more about Wisconsin Deer Herd, visit dnr.wi.gov and search keywords Deer Metrics. This Deer Metrics system is unlike any other in the country and will provide anyone interested in deer management the opportunity to be better informed on their local deer herd. Users are encouraged to get more involved in local deer management through participation in County Deer Advisory Councils or the Deer Management Assistance Program. That concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Registry Deer News. Special thanks to Daniel Applebaum for leads on some of the stories this week. For links to the stories featured this week, please check our show notes at www.bigbuckregistry.com. If you have any ideas for future topics or have any questions about any of these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News.
But thanks to Jim Keller for the deer news. Without further ado, here is Chris Cordell. Chris Cordell, welcome to the Big Buck Registries Deer Hunting Podcast. How are you, my friend? Thank you. I'm very fine, sir. Where are you hanging out these days, Chris? Uh, right now, I'm living in Covington, Tennessee. It's just right outside Memphis, Tennessee. Did you grow up there? I grew up in Memphis, okay. and I lived 20 years in uh, North Mississippi. And right now, I'm living in Covington, just the outskirts of Memphis. Gotcha. What was life like growing up in and around there? Uh, life growing up was pretty nice. It was, uh, I hunted all my life, but... In my pastime, we, I, I raced bicycles, then I raced motocross for about 30 years. I raced supercross for a while, and then, you know, everything changed to my hunting. I had to go to either supercross or hunting, and I've got my most into with hunting, so I went with it. I had to stop everything. And I devoted my life basically to hunting, trying to help others in the hunting world. Gotcha. It is funny how one kind of takes over the other. It is. At the time, I was, I'm, I'm not married at the time, but back then I was married and my wife asked me, she said, look, if there was nobody else on earth, what would you rather do? Would you rather race motocross, supercross, or would you rather hunt? Hmm. And I thought about it for a minute and I said, I'd rather hunt. That's just what I do. It's in my butt. Hmm. And I made a decision then that I'm going to do all I can just to put a hunting world and try to grow it. And I wanted everybody to love it as much as I did. So I've tried to do everything all my life, just try to help grow the sport and try to help people enjoy the outdoors like I have over the years because it gave me so much. It kept me out of so much trouble as a young guy. And everybody else was out partying and drinking and everything else. I was out in the woods every winter. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, do you feel like this uh, uh, desire to, to share that with other people? It's been my desire all my life just to try to help people out in the outdoors and just enjoy the outdoors without anything else. Nobody alone, just you, just the woods. I think it's in our nature just to enjoy that. Yeah. What drove you as a kid? Did you, do you have a mentors or anybody that was involved with you to get you off and going? I mean, that, that usually, well, not always, but usually there's somebody. There's a somebody. Basically, it was my dad. Okay. My dad got me started. Um, and I had my uncles and my cousins. We all hunted together. And we all grew up hunting. We did have a cabin, but we hunted on government land. So I grew up hunting public land. And back in them days, you just didn't go out and kill a big deer every year. I mean, if you killed a deer once every two or three years, uh, you had a crown in your head. Back in them days, we didn't have the numbers we have today. And we hunted mostly in Mississippi, which they had dog hunters. And right. anytime you hunt land that dog hunted, you don't have that many deer around because the dogs don't run them off. So what I wanted to do is try to learn my best of what I could do to help others in the woods hunt. And I knew that you got to do better than one buck every four or five years. Right. There's got to be a way to have your tag field every season. So my goal was to go out and learn everything I could and try to help others in the woods, basically my family at the time. And then it grew. Hmm. And then back when I was a little kid, I spent all the times so we'd, we'd get old film screen magazines and things like that. We'd, you know, look through them and read this guy killed this big deer and, all that and, and then if you look at the back they would have a little article about deer calls well most people back in them days even thought well deer calling was a joke it was just a gimmick to get your money right right so when i learned all that i went out and did my own research and i studied everything and did the best i could and then i figured out well no it's not a joke you know you can call deer in 
you can do different tactics and you can succeed every season. What were some of the earlier like aha moments? Were, were there moments that you discovered things that you, you maybe you read about them, but they, you thought they might be uh, almost myths or, or misconceptions that you said, oh my, yeah, this does work. Well, uh, yeah. When I was a kid, I just, I, I read every magazine I could and I learned everything. And like I said, it, our camp, we wasn't the guys that knew everything. We didn't go out and we didn't kill a bunch of bucks every season. It was limited. So uh, I said, it had to be more to this. So when I went out and, and, and actually discovered what, what deer are making sound, they are grunting in the rut. They're making noises. There's more to this than just miss. And then one of my first hunts, I was, well, the first deer I ever killed. I actually was using like a, a dough and heat and an acorn scent. And I was a very young guy. I was probably like 10 years old. Okay. I got up late. Everybody else done left camp. And back in them days, we just didn't sit with our dads and uncles and cousins or anybody older than us. They put us in the woods. We hunted. We were on our own. Even at a young age, we was on our own. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. I haven't heard that before. No. And today, all I see on the TV shows and the videos and everybody I talk to, they set their kids up, they put them in a blind, or put, they put them in a stand, and or they're with them. And back in the old days, we uh, we never did that. Right. My dad just said, you know the land, uh, I trust you, you know the way back to the cabin, you're on your own. <laughs> so the first deer I ever killed, I probably got up, oh, I was a young guy, I probably got up probably about 10 o'clock, later than most hunters. <laughs> right. I walked up the old logging road, and to my left, here comes a buck. And I'm sitting here, oh, my God, you know, what do I do? I'm a young guy. I ain't never shot a deer in my life, and this buck is right there staring at me. Right. But which I didn't realize, he was at the west, and the sun was coming up. The sun was in his eyes, and evidently, he smelled the scent on me. Hmm. And he come towards my way, and I opened up. I had a 30-30 lever action, and I opened up fire, and he come about three feet from me. And then he veered off to my right. And went off, and I heard something hit. Hmm. I was scared to death. <laughs> that was the first deer I ever shot in my life. I didn't know if I hit him, and I thought the deer was trying to kill me because he was coming right at me. It took me years to realize as I got older, I said, what the sun was in his eyes. He really didn't see me, but he smelt something. Right. And he was determined to come at me, and he was charging me. And when I went over and finally found him, it was an eight-point buck. And that was a uh, public land, High Springs National Forest in Mississippi. I'll never forget it. I went over, got the deer up. I was real happy. I went and got my little motorcycle, tied him up, drug him back to the cabin, hug him up. All the other hunters come back. They said, who was that shooting over there? It had to be somebody with the automatic. <laughs> I said, no, I it was me. <laughs> I had a lever action, but I opened up on him because I thought he was going to kill me, you know. And I had a deer. He probably scored about 100 points. Something like that. Not a monster buck or anything else. And my dad, I seen the biggest smile on my dad's face and I've ever seen in my life. And he hugged me, kissed me, and jumped up and down. And for that area, for that year, it was like a legend. I've heard stories years ago that, all oh, this guy killed a, a monster buck over back there. And a little kid, and I said, well, that was me, you know. And I've been hooked ever since. That's funny. It's just never left me. Do you think we're and from then on? I, I did all I could just to try to learn everything I can and try to help others in the woods. And I had good luck over the years. Gotcha. Do you, do you think we're making a mistake by not letting our kids go out on their own? I do. I really do. 
I talk to hunters all the time, and people write me on on social media, which just all new to me. Um, they can know that we we didn't have that. We got letters in the mailbox, you know. Right. But I think that a person needs to go out on their own and learn their own experience after a certain age. You know, my my mom and dad took me hunting ever since I was born. I mean, my dad used to put me on his shoulders and stick me on a limb and say, sit here. I didn't have nowhere to go. So I had to, you know. Right. So I had to learn a lot at a young age. But I think today's hunters is it's changed a whole lot. And I do think that they need to put them out. If they've got their own land and they know they're safe, I think they need to put them in the spot, let them learn their own experience instead of dad sitting there t- trying to teach them everything. Mm. What's the right age? On his own, I would say probably between eight and 10. Okay. That's, that's my thinking. I, I, I don't, you know, you don't want to put a, a, like my kids, I took my kids to say they've been babies like my dad did me out yeah. in the woods, but I would put my son at a spot probably at six years old and tell him to stay here. And I had enough confidence in my son that he would stay there. Depends on the kid right. and the maturity. But my kid loves me today because I give him experiences that he couldn't have done with just me sitting beside him. Right. He still talks about today. And he's my, my boy, uh, Colin Corday, he's 28 today. Okay. And he just, mm, he just, he, he thanks me for that because he's got experiences that he would never have if I would have been right there with him. It is true. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm more or less a solo hunter. I, I, li- I like the camaraderie back at camp and I certainly, you know, like getting together on occasion, but when it comes to the, the core raw hunting, let me go, let me go by myself. You're a loner. I'm a loner. That's to me the best way to be. Yeah. And I basically always been that way. Uh, I'm just a loner in the woods and no matter what, I mean, give me my woods, give me by myself. And uh, so many people, a lot of people don't understand that. Well, we want to go to camp. We want to have a party. We're going to drink at night. We're going to do this. I got to hunt. Yeah. Put me in the woods. Like last year, I stayed testing my new products in my blind 11 days straight. Day and night, I lived in a blind. People say, don't you go crazy? Don't you? No, I don't. It's my way of out of this world. I can connect with nature that way. I learn more that way. And I think the lone hunter has a better chance. It depends on yeah. all what you want. I mean, a lot of guys go to deer camp just to socialize and have fun, get away, and do that. When I'm in the woods, I'm serious about my hunting. And if somebody else is out there, I'm worried about them messing me up, and that just don't it, it don't work. Yeah, no, that's a good point. What What are some of the major issues facing hunting today? There's what I hear the most. I mean, there's a lot of issues going on, and that bothers me. Back in those days, I could go knock on a farmer's door or a landowner, and I could tell them who I was and what I was doing, and they would tell me, going back there, no problem. I don't care, going back to my property. These days, every time I knock on the door or talk to anybody, all I hear is, somebody shot my horse, somebody shot my cow. They tore down my fences, they messed up my roads, they don't offer to help, and it's getting harder and harder to find a good place to hunt today Hmm. than it was 30 years ago. And I think more of us need to pay attention to when somebody offers us a place to hunt, we need to do everything we can to make that person happy. Even if it messes up your hunting, offer to help them chop some firewood, offer to help paint his house in the summer when you're not hunting, offer to run other people off that don't have permission on your land. It's really killing us out there of all the people that's going in there and destroying people's other land that we're very 
very limited to, and it hurts the other guy. Yeah, I think I think there's a lack of awareness that we are ambassadors of our pastime here, and that's right. The, the heritage that we have is only as good as the guy that was there before. That's right. right. And if you go in there and if you mess up a man's property and if you make a bad impression, that's going to stop everybody else from hunting on that man's property, even if he don't hunt. And that needs to be changed right now. And another thing that needs to change is we need to have more of our youth enjoying the outdoors and doing the right things to grow our sport. The numbers are dropping every year. Yeah. And it should be growing. The population is growing every year. But the numbers of hunters are dropping every year. And that needs to change or we will not be here. And I'll die and do everything I can to try to grow the sport of honey, all honey. I'm only a whitetail hunter. That's what I'm a pro at. That's what I've learned all my life. But when I was a kid, I hunted everything that walked. Yeah. And I loved it. But as I got older and I got sponsors and everything, I went totally whitetail. But we all need to think. We need to do our part. And we need to take non-hunter hunting every year. We need to find your friend, your neighbor, the ones that don't hunt, and introduce them into the world. That's what's going to grow in sport. If we don't do that, it's going to be a dying sport, and it's going to be a thing of the past. Right. Oh, and I do not want that. Let me dig a little deeper here. What is the reason we should keep our sport alive? I have some ideas. I want to hear what your perspective is. Well, one thing is conservation. You get too many deer in the area, they're going to die of diseases. They're going to die of starvation. And there's just there's many reasons out there. We need to enjoy what God gives us, and we need to protect it. If somebody come up and told me, look, the white tail, the white tail is on the endangered species list, I'll be the first one out there shooting everybody else. <laughs> I mean, believe it or not, don't kill them. I love what I, what I do, yeah. and I love the animal I pursue. I studied them all my life. I dedicated my life to that. It's, it's, it's a complex situation, but yes, I think you're right. I think this is about Period. conservation and habitat. And as hunters, you know, it's, it's kind of this weird mixed message that we send to the rest of the world. Where That's we, right. We go and kill something, the very thing that we're trying to keep around uh, in healthy populations. So it's, it's and hard. people don't understand that. You know, yeah. it's, it's hard. don't understand that. Hard to conceptualize. You're killing something you're trying to save. But along with it. Back in the old days, we had, uh, well, hunters had in the old days a reputation. They would go into a restaurant for breakfast or something. They'd smell like. Uh, skunk scent or dough and heat. They'd come in there dirty, smelly, right. and people would look at us and that, that, well, they're just hunters. They're dirty, nasty, just out killing. And people need to realize, no, we're everyday workers. We work jobs. We're firemen. We're policemen. We run businesses. Uh, the president's son is a big hunter. That's right. uh, we need to realize that, you know, we're not just scum and we're not just hillbillies out hunting. And I hear a lot of people say, well, I just hunt for me because I can't afford it. Well, by the time you buy a hunting license and a gun and go hunting and everything, you don't spend more on what you could go buy a ground of beef at the store. Right. It's just in our blood. It's what we do. We grew up that way, and we want to keep our family heritage going. And we're actually doing a good job in the outdoors by regulating the deer. They, every state regulates how many deer you can kill. They look at the population, and they know if it gets overpopulated, the deer would die. They would starve. They won't have the water. They won't have the food. And there's so many diseases going these days that we have to have hunting to cut down on all that. If we don't have that, it will be a disaster. 
Let's get into some uh, some of the nitty gritty of this conversation here, Chris. I'm sure people listening are dying to hear how you go about your hunts, your strategies, your techniques, your the things you've learned since you were young and shot that buck that got blinded by the sun. Let's I've learned a lot over the years. Uh, my main thing is is back when I started, I knew there was more to it besides just killing one buck every four or five years. Right. And then I thought about it as young. I said, well, how many people sit out here in the cold and they hunt and they don't kill anything? I said, that's going to get boring after a while and they're going to quit. So there's got to be better ways to kill deer than what's going on today. Back in the old days, people didn't even believe in deer calls. They didn't believe in grunt calls. And they thought like uh, doe and heat and deer set and all that was just, just fake, just to get your money. Everything has its own toll in what you're doing, and it will all help you at the certain times of the year. What I like doing is what's helped me over the years. A lot of people, well, most people, if you read the magazines and all the magazines and stuff, they talk about the rut of the year. My main thing that I've learned over the years that's helped me is uh, when the rut comes on, the deer are gone. If they don't bred the deer in your area, they're not there no more. Hmm. So if you don't have the does in your area, you can hunt them all winter. They're not going to be there. I wouldn't be there. Right. If I was a young man looking for a girl and there's no girls around, I'm going to the next bar or the next place right. or the next state or whatever. It's kind of, it's simplified the, the way, you, yeah, simplified the way you state it, but it's, it's, it's an obvious statement during the rut. Right. The rut to me for the non hunter is, well, I can't say the non hunter, the guy that don't spend a whole lot of time in the woods. I spend year round in the woods okay. like I do. The rut is probably the best time for him to kill a nice deer. Hmm. And I put that mostly as luck. What I like doing is through the spring and the summer, watching the deer grow up, looking at the deer from a distance, don't disturb the area. I do put out minerals and stuff mm-hmm. to help the deer. And then I find my bucks, and then I try to take them before the rut. Okay. So you're, you're, you got a hit list? Are you a hit list kind of guy? Right. That's the way I am. Okay. I, I hunt one-on-one. I find the buck, I hunt the buck that I'm after. If I don't get him, I don't shoot nothing. Hmm. Okay. And I'm very happy in the woods every year. I might go a whole season. I don't even kill a deer. That's fine with me. That's just the way I am. I've always been like that. I usually find a certain deer. Now, don't get me wrong. If something bigger comes in, yes, I'm going to take it. Sure. But I look for areas that's going to produce the nicest deer, the biggest rack. The oldest deer normally has the biggest rack, and that's what I look at. I look at age. Mm-hmm. I let plenty of deer go that's like, you know, three and a half and under. Even down here in the south, you know, we just don't have the big deer like the areas up north and stuff. Sure. And, but I still have my limits. How do you but go about wait, finding the buck? I mean, what what is it that you're, how do you isolate? I spend time. I've had, uh, like, I had friends call me all the time. Man, let's go fishing tomorrow. Well, yeah, I'm going scouting. You know, yeah. what? It's 100 degree weather out here. Let's go fishing in the morning, go catch some bass. Well, that's great. I love it. But if I want to kill my deer in the fall, or at the beginning of the bow season, I've got to go find them. Hmm. And I spend a lot of my summer out looking. Usually I start trying to do it more in July. That way they will at least have half of a rack or most of a rack grown yep. where I can see them. I'll put cameras out. Back in those days, we didn't have cameras, so I had to spend a lot more time just looking out from roads and a few hundred yards away and seeing what I can find. And then once I spot a buck and say that's a potential deer that I want, then I would spend my time on that deer. I would try to learn everything I can about that deer, and then I would go in and try to get him before he goes into rut. Because when he goes into rut, 
Well, the acorns drop, he's going to change his pattern. So when you're identifying this, the buck that is on your potential list, you're, are you out like in their territory or are you kind of staying on the periphery with binoculars and, and using game cameras? Yes, to... I'm staying on the edges. Okay. I, I do not go right in there. If you go in there too much in the summer, like I hear a guy say, well, man, I go in there and feed once a week. Like He knows you're there. Hmm. You know, he's probably not going to come into dark. So, I mean, I'd stay on the outer edges and I glaze from the farthest distance I possibly can and still contact with that deer. Sometimes I wish I could get farther, but I can't, you know. Yeah. So but that's what's helped over the years. I've, you know, I've taken over 30 Pope and Young whitetail and probably 200 and something total whitetail, not, not okay. Pope and Young. Okay. Total. So you, you've identified a deer from afar, from the periphery, not getting in. Right. When do you decide it's time to go in? Right away, or like as soon as the season starts? If everything's right and the wind's right and, and, the season is open, I'm in there. Normally, by the time the start of the bow season, I just about picked it out. And if I know the wind's in the right direction and I've already spotted them all summer long, I'm going in there as soon as I can. I want to start hunting them the first day of the season, if possible. And how are you hunting? Are you uh, hunting from the ground on a, in a blind tree stand, climber, uh, well, pre-set up I, I get a lot of... Right, I get a lot of discredit over the years, but I'm I'm a I hunt the ground probably eighty percent of the time. Okay, I killed most of my records on the ground. Uh, I could have killed a lot more if I would have been in a deer stand because of the scent and them not seeing you. But I hunt for the challenge. I don't hunt just to kill a deer. I hunt because it's my love, and I like the face to face, fifteen twenty yard shot, normally in thick woods. And to me, that's the ultimate. So that's what I look for. And are you both? It messes me up a lot, especially when I'm filming. Hmm. You know, trying to get that close on the ground. But I could do better in a deer stand, but I don't, I hunt for the challenge these days. Are you bow hunting or gun hunting? I'm, I bow hunt. That's you're, all I do these days. Gotcha. So you're looking for the the early season bucks that you've identified, getting, getting in on, and I'd like to talk about some of the, decisions you make on where to actually hunt other than you right. know the bucks in the area but when you you know hone it in a little bit tighter like okay so you've got a you know the general area how do you decide in that general area where you're going to go what are you looking for what sign in particular are you trying right. to pick up yeah a lot of times when i go in there you look at one trail and you see this heavily worn trail you see this dirt down the dirt look like a bicycle trail that people's been coming through i won't hunt that because I know he's not coming down that. That's where the younger deer and the does are coming through. I look for the thickest cover I can possibly find in the same general area, and normally that's where he's going to come from. Gotcha. Well, let's take a coffee break and hear from our sponsors, Rackology and Hunter's Blend Coffee. And when we come back, we'll pick up where we left off with Chris Cordell. Here's Jason Obermiller talking about the origins of Rackology. I couldn't find it on the market, so... I knew I had to make it myself. All the other hunters out there that are plain Joes just like us, they deserve to be able to also get the same thing we've got. Instead of paying 30 or 40 bucks for an attractant and a protein and another 20 or 30 for your mineral, and you know, by the time you start adding up stuff, you've got a lot of money and less than 50 pounds. I wanted to make it as cheap as humanly possible. If you'd like to check out more about this product, go to rackology.org. That's R A 
C-K-O-L-O-G-Y dot O-R-G. Hello, I'm Grant Woods, and as a wildlife biologist, I've learned through the decades that big antlers start in the dirt. It's all about quality soil. Years ago, when research clearly showed that tilling, disking, or disturbing the soil decreased the quality of soil, I changed to a no-till system. As the research progressed and more and more people were focused on soil health, I changed to using cover crops and keeping a living root in the soil as many days throughout the year as possible. Now our food plot systems actually improve the soil instead of degrade it, and we're growing larger and healthier deer. In a similar way, I've learned that several coffee importers don't hold the same value for natural resources that I do. They actually do things that harm the environment instead of help the environment and the people that work those coffee plantations. It's even more discouraging that several coffee importers actually support lobbyists that are against hunting and our hunting traditions. Last winter, I met Ken, Paul, and Mike, three brother-in-laws that love coffee and hunting. Due to their love of coffee, and quite candidly, the people that grow and process the coffee, they work to bring us Hunter's Blend coffee. Paul, Ken, and Mike buy directly from the coffee producers. This allows them to pay the producers at least twice the normal rate and be able to donate to hunting organizations. I love it when I have an opportunity to purchase from folks that want to protect our natural resources and the people working the land and protect hunting and the hunting heritage. I encourage you to go to huntersblendcoffee.com and order some today and ask your local sporting goods retailer to stock their coffee. It's more important now than ever for hunters to stick together and support conservation of our natural resources. And now back to our interview with Chris Cordell, the single season double slam staging a comeback. We, we use this word hunt the wind all the time, you know, when the wind's right, you know, time the wind. Can you describe in a little more detail what that means to you? It means to me it's, um, that too many hunters don't hunt an area because of the wind. And what I like doing is I don't look at this bug and know this bug. I know where he's coming out. I'll try to hunt uh, like to the side of where he's coming out, like a crosswind. And too many hunters say, well, I can't hunt that area. It's only like a few days a year I can hunt it because the wind's blowing the wrong way. I hate hearing that. Put you up some different stands. If you know that buck's there and he's a nice deer, why hunt one stand? Put up different stands to go along with the wind. That way you can hunt that deer. Yeah. A lot of guys don't have the money to go out and hunt day after day and week after week. They're limited. So why not put up two or three stands? That way you can hunt that same buck every day you go hunting. And I get mad about that because I hear it so much. I I mean, even for a lot of the pros that's talking, why well, I couldn't hunt until this time because the wind wasn't right. And if you know your deer, you can set up different areas and you'll take that deer. Don't never not hunt because of the wind mm. just move your place where you're hunting gotcha and that's helped me more than anything over the years there's not a bad day rainy day stormy day cold day the best day to be in the woods is every day you can okay so you're you're not trying to time it you're not looking at moon patterns or you know, the no. wind you're 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 setting up in an area where you think you can get to strategically without getting busted based that's off right. of the direction that wind's going, not necessarily playing a certain stand and going in or going out based off of what the weather's doing that day. That's right. I, that's one thing my, I look up to my dad 
Because when we had time to hunt as a kid, we hunted. It could be storming, it could be raining, it could be cold, the wind could be blowing this way, it could be swirling, it could be changing. We hunted. The deer are in the woods. So no matter what you do, you got to be in the woods to kill the deer. Don't never stop because of that. And too many hunters say, well, I can't hunt this place. I went to a place in Illinois about three years ago. Well, actually, it was my first hunt back since I've been hurt. And my cousins and everybody else said, well, you can hunt that bottom down there, but you can't hunt it because the wind's blowing wrong. But <laughs> we just go on the other side. Walk a few hundred yards around. Come in the backside. If you got to walk two miles around, you can still come up the backside. You don't worry about the wind. If you know the deer's coming out here, you might have to circle around. You might have to walk a little bit. You might have to get up at 2 in the morning instead of 5 in the morning. But you can still hunt that deer. There's a way to round it. Gotcha. It's too many hunters just look at where the wind's blowing wrong and my stand's here. Go sit on the ground. It might not be 30, 40 yards away. Go sit on the ground. Still hunt that deer. So go ground hunt it in the stay in a general area too long. Yeah. So don't don't not hunt, but go hunt that general area in a different spot. And if you don't have a stand, that's, go in the right way. That's right, exactly. Even if you have to walk two or three miles around, it's worth it. Go in the back way. That way, he won't detect you. If you go in the back way and come up this way, if you know which way the, he is and which way the wind is, exactly. Hmm. And that's the way I've always looked at it. And I'm not a lazy hunter. If I have to get up at uh, 1 o'clock and get out in the woods and go walk two, three, four miles, that's what I'm going to do. Gotcha. Now what what kind of other gear are you using? So your bow hunter, it sounds like you, you could care less if there's a stand there, although you, you use it to your advantage if it's available in a certain scenario. But it sounds like it's not really part of it. I'm getting the feeling that you're mm-hmm. kind of a minimalist. I don't know if that's true or not. but All right. I mean, if there's a stand there, great. I will climb a stand if it's in the right area. Yeah. But if it's, I've been known to go to my stand and say, uh-uh, the wind's wrong. I'm going to sit over here 30 yards away on this side. Hmm. And I've taken good deer that way. And a lot of times I, I, I try to look at the terrain and the trails. And I've gone to different places over the years where they have a stand set up. And I said, to me, this is just not right. You know, the stand should be down there 50 yards and on this area. And that's where I would go. And I would have good luck. What do you bring into the woods with you beside your weapon? Normally, I try. I take like the well, back in the old days, I took a fanny pack. Now I'm taking uh, like a backpack. Okay. And I try to take my my breaker, my binoculars. I try to take uh, my knife, my gut and gloves. I take an extra piece of rope. Uh, make sure all my gear's there, and then I take the uh, a safety pack in case something happens. I take mm-hmm. like uh, band aids, bandages. Um, because you never know what's going to happen in the woods. And uh, I try to keep it as light as I can, you know. Even that we're not uh, out climbing mountains and, and high terrain and all that, I try to keep everything light, try to make it as more comfortable as I can, yep. you know, in the woods. What are you using for camouflage or, or, or clothing? Do you care? Well, yeah. For years, I mean, uh, I, I was with Tree Bar for 30 years. Mm-hmm. So I help promote the product. I love the product. And... To me, the original tree bark works basically better than anything even made today. It's just when the hunter eye looks at a camo, they say, I like this pattern. It looks good. This looks good on me. I like this real tree. I like this mazio. Oh, it looks great. Well, it don't look all that great to the hunter. I mean, I mean to the deer. The deer see different from what we do. And believe it or not, I still use a lot of the original tree bark that was made 30 years ago. Really? And I believe in it. Because it breaks out your outline. 
It has the light spots, it has the dark spots, and it breaks up the human outline. That's basically what you want to do. What is it about the hunting on the ground that you like? And, and when, the you do, when you do do that, and I'm assuming it's challenges, what, how do you do it? How, what's, your, what's your setup like when you decide you're hunting on the ground? To me, the ultimate goal is just with a bow in your hand, even a recurve bow, face-to-face, 15 to 20 yards with the deer that, that you want to take, Basically, not eye to eye because you don't want to look in his eye, but face to face, basically. Okay. Uh, it's just the ultimate challenge when you're on the ground, you're at his level, you beat him at his own game, and then you take him out. To me, that is the ultimate hunt. It can be a 100 class deer, it can be a 200 class deer. Uh, I get the rush from that's the way I like hunt. It's just the ultimate challenge to me. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to envision like what's it like sitting in the stand with you obviously you're you'd be hunting solo but like what are your idiosyncrasies when you get to your spot when you're on the ground are you digging up the earth are you hunching down are you looking around are you moving a lot you... time, right i'll find a big tree or something sort of that covers up my back okay i sort of got a general idea of where i think the deer is coming from hopefully you know because uh, I didn't spend all summer long scouting the deer or knowing, you know, about direction, what he's coming from. The bedding area is over here in the thick spot. He's coming from the bottom. He's going to be coming this way. So I try to get a tree or something in my background, or a lot of times I even sit behind a tree and just sort of pick out to the side a little bit. And if the wind is blowing, you know, in the right direction, he will not detect you if you just don't make no fast movements. I've got even video that I've done, uh, well, one of them was done in double slam. I killed one about 15 yards on the ground, and I did the double, and I was on the edge of a field. I done looked at this buck about five afternoons coming out the same spot every afternoon. So I knew there was one big tree right there. That was about it for cover. Hmm. I got right behind that tree. The deer come out, and it was like a textbook. I mean, it just all worked out, and a lot of times it don't work out like that. But I got lucky that day, and I got that deer. Gotcha. And when you're got the back, or you got the tree to your back, or you're on a, on a tree, which way is the wind blowing? Are you, do you set up on a? You want the wind in your face? You want the wind on a cross? I try. I try to get in the cross most of the time. A lot of times, the cross is better. Like, uh, well, actually, last year I was hunting Mississippi, and I was on a stand at this time, not on the ground, but I was on a stand. The wind was blowing from the south, going to the north. But I knew where the bedding area was. And he was coming from the north, going towards the south. But mm. the trail, the main trail, was behind me. So the main deer, the smaller deer, as I should say, I knew they would probably be hitting that trail. He would be hitting a trail right in front of me. It's probably actually, which I was cutting it close on this one, because I hung my stand a little bit wrong, but I didn't want to move it. It was probably about 10 yards. He was to the left. If he would have come another 15 feet behind me before he cut up, he would smell me, and there's no way I could get it. Yeah. But I knew there was a pond there. So he had to come up right in front of me. It was sort of like a crosswind, and he come right up. And actually, the deer that come up uh, was in Mississippi, but it's one that I promised my son that I would not shoot if he let him get to five and a half years old, and that was the buck to come up. Mm. Full mature deer, very smart deer. And he come up and walked in right at dark, and I just let him go. I had to because I already promised my son that this is your deer. Yeah, gotcha. Interesting. But I had to stand in the right spot. If the deer would have come down and walked west another 10, probably, 
I'd say 10, 15 yards, he would have smelled me. But I actually, I actually knew where the deer was going to come from because of the thicker cover. And then I've already had him on camera through the summer because I spent my time working. Okay. So you've got a buck, a target buck on the head list. You're set up in your stand. You've got the wind in your favor the way you want it. You're expecting right. the, the buck to use their trail. Mm-hmm. How does the shot go? When do you decide to draw back? When do you decide to let it fly? Uh, when it's open, I got a clear shot. And normally when the deer is looking at the ground or a different way. Okay. The deer be looking at the ground sideways. He's still looking at you because the deer's eyes are on the side of their head. They're not looking straight ahead most of the time. They can see any movement from their sideways. So I tried to make it where they're looking a different direction for a second. Split second. Now on the ground, it's much more difficult. But if you're in a deer stand, a lot of times they can still be looking at the ground, but they're not going to be able to see up. Okay. You know, if you're 15 foot up in the tree, they're not going to see you. Okay. On the ground, it's more like it's totally different. You've got to watch every little move. And he needs to be turning away from you before you pull back because he will see you. All right. So you're you're looking for the head to turn away from you before you draw. If I'm on the if ground. If you're on the ground. Right. Okay. Right. Deer stand is different. I mean, like I said, it's much easier to kill a deer mm-hmm. from a deer stand. Mm-hmm. What about like your your focus? Where are you where are you focusing on the shot? Like where's your cross hair, so to speak? My, my cross is always low. I tell everybody to aim low. Okay. I hear people say aim high, but I aim low. <laughs> yeah. When that front leg moves forward on your side, I try to aim low. I try to aim for the heart. Most people with bow hunting and stuff or even gun, they try to aim for the lung area. I try to aim for the heart. Smaller. If I'm close enough, 10 yards, I'm spining him. He ain't going nowhere. Okay. What about your breathing? Um, I mean, we always think about how exciting the moment is, your adrenaline pounding. How do you slow it down for yourself? Sometimes it's harder than others. Back in the old days, I once I done took so many, it wasn't that much of a problem. Now it's like I'm a little kid again since I've had my little break. And I do everything I can to slow it down. I just try to think that this is going to be okay. I made the shot before. He's not bigger than the one that I've killed before. And sometimes I just have to wait. If the shot's not right, I wait till I calm down. Because if I know if I take that shot, when my, my heart's beating that hard, I'll never make it. Gotcha. That's if I have time to do it. Sometimes you don't have time and you just have to take a shot. Right. I ended up having to do that last year. Gotcha. If you had to explain to a, a young hunter the key points that they should be focusing on, what would you say to them? The, the main thing I could say to a young hunter is never take scent for granted. No matter what you hear, wash all your clothes, hang them out to dry, Watch your scent. Watch your hands when you put your boots on. My boots and now my clothes go in plastic bags till I get to where I'm hunting. It might be 10 below zero. I'm out half naked until I put on my hunting clothes. And then I do spray my hands and everything with scent eliminator and make sure my hands are clean before I even put my boots on. Okay. I hear so many guys saying, well, I done washed everything and, and scent eliminator and, and they're scent free. But then they go eat breakfast and everything. They go put their clothes on. What are they doing? They're touching their clothes all over. The yeah. deer, they're going to smell it. Deer can smell probably about 100% better than any bloodhound that ever lived. You cannot beat the smell of a deer. Right. And I try to tell them, the young hunters, spend the time in the woods. That's what I was talking about earlier. There's no best time to go hunt deer. The best time is any time you get a chance, get in the woods and go hunt. It's, it's an interesting 
perspective because I, I hear you know from different guests different perspectives on that. It's like hunt at this specific time. But you're saying oh yeah the opposite hunt anytime. Just get out there. That's your best. You got to be out there. The deer live out there. Their homes out there. They're not going nowhere. They're not going home for the night. They're not going to leave here and go on vacation for a month. The deer are in the woods. The deer might leave your area different times of the year. That's why I try to do my main trophy hunting before the rut because I know where the deer are at. and They're going to stay on their same pattern until something changes. Which acorns falling can change the deer. The doe and he can change the deer. And it depends on what you have in your area that determines if you're going to keep hunting that area. Hmm. If you have plenty of doe in your area, and if you have plenty of food in your area, the bucks are going to stay there. But like one one little spot I'm hunting right now, that's got a few deer on it that I've, grown, I've actually grown to about five and a half. Well, one's going to be six and a half years old this year. There's only two does that I know that probably live within a mile of the area. When them two does are bred, there's no reason for that buck to stay there. He is going to leave. And for three years now, I documented on camera that he will come back in January after the rut in yeah. Mississippi. Yeah. How do I'm you, sure that's the same as any other spot across the country. Yeah. How do you approach your stand? Are you a, a, a you get in quickly and, and get set or are you a slow, methodical, don't, don't disturb nature's surroundings kind of guy? If it's real early, like a few hours before daylight, I just go on in. I just walk straight in, just go in it and sit there and be quiet, which I still watch what I touch and where I walk. If it's later in the day, I will take, uh, I'm basically a steel hunter in a way. I've killed a lot of deer still hunting mm. and stalking. I will go in slow, very slow. It might take me an hour just to walk a hundred yards. Are you, uh, when you're going in early, are you, and you're getting right to the stand, are you a flashlight guy or are you a, I basically don't. You try to use a flashlight until I have to. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if there's a real, real thick area where I just can't see, yes, I will use a flashlight and I point it at the ground. I don't point it in front of me or through the woods and and all that. But if I have to use a flashlight, I will. Um, If not, I don't. I just go by the nightlight or the moonlight. And a lot of times through nighttime, the human eyes get used to it if it's in the dark. And you can pretty much see where you're going. Right. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Do you, um, as far as, uh, you know, pre-hunt preparation, um, from the, the day before you go in, do you, are you working on any last minute strategies, uh, to make that hunt go well? Are you using a particular, I don't know, are you showering before you leave or are you showering oh, yeah. the night before? How do, how do you do that setup? Yeah. I, I, if, if I know I'm going hunting in the morning, I'll probably take a shower in the morning. I know my clothes is ready. They're scent free. I've done ozone them out. They're they're ready to go, and I have everything ready. And then I would take a shower, and then I try to watch everything I do on the way to hunt. If I if I have to drive, if I'm already there, it's, it's better. But a lot of times I might have to drive an hour or two from my house to where I'm going hunting, and then I try to watch every little bite. Hmm. Gotcha. And then basically my hunting clothes. I don't even wear my hunting clothes until I get there. Most guys they throw their hunting clothes at their house, and then they jump in their truck. They've been in every day all summer long, and Right. Then they go hunting, and that you know the deer are gonna pick up on the smell from your seats and your truck and your gas station, or if you stop and all that. I try to leave all my hunting clothes in the bags till I get to the property I'm hunting. Then I'll take out my clothes, I'll spray myself down with a scent eliminator, make sure my hands are clean, and then I will put on my hunting clothes, and then I'm in the woods. Gotcha. You're trying to be scent neutral, 
kind of like a ghost? It got to be. Okay. Because the deer will smell you no matter what. Okay. Do you have a go-to move? Like there's one thing that you you do over and over that helps you be more successful? I pray. <laughs> hey, that's that, one thing. That works. But, uh, that works, right? That's worked. Uh, but one thing I've always do is just like a, I, I don't know, it's like just a, I just picked it up over the years. When I get through uh, putting my hunting clothes on, my boots, I know I'm scent free. But the area that I'm hunting, I might go out another 10 or 15 uh, feet away. I'll pick up a, a ground of leaves and fresh dirt. I rub them on my boots. I rub them on my clothes. And then I walk to my stand. Hmm. Okay. But I always rub the natural surrounding on me. That's just one thing that I do. So like when I race motocross, I always picked up a handful of dirt, put them in my gloves, shaked it off, and then I was ready to go hit the road, you know. Yep. And I do the same thing with hunting. I go out and I pick up fresh earth, the surrounding scent, and I rub them all over me on top of my scent-free clothes, and to me that helps. Okay. So kind of kind of a ritual. Right. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, Chris, let's uh, let's go through a, a deer hunting story. I asked you to think of one in particular that kind of sticks out in your head, and I'd like to break it down and go a little slow and, and really focus on some of the details of the hunt. Where are we going to go on this hunt? Well, the one that, that comes to my mind over the years is back in probably, I have a bunch of them, but this one just sticks out. It was like 92. It was the first year that um, I actually got to travel away from my area and went on the road and started hunting all the other areas of the country. Hmm. And um, I was up in Wisconsin. I killed a 172.28 with a bow. Yep. Uh, that was the biggest deer of my life at the time by bow. Uh, I come home, and a week later, I was hunting Mississippi. And I was sitting there in my little spot on the ground, and I had a deer walking up to me. And it was real thick, and all I could see was basically its, uh, its bottom of his leg and his neck, and I knew it was a big deer. And I got to thinking, I said, well, I need to shoot this deer. I was like 15 yards away. I was motionless. I was drove back, ready to go. And then all of a sudden, I seen another deer come up behind me, behind that deer. And I said, oh, my God. You know, I said, this deer's a whopper. What's that? What's that one? Because normally the bigger bucks, but the little ones go first. That's what I've always read, and that's what I heard back in them days. I said, well, well, this one sort of walked on up a little bit, took about five, ten more steps, and Little one kept walking up behind me, which at the time I didn't know it was a little one. I thought, oh, this is going to be the monster. Well, about 15 minutes passed, and I'm still full drawn, shaking like a damn leaf. <laughs> <laughs> and ready to release, well, he put his head down. It's a little full point. I said, what? <laughs> I'm sitting there, oh, no. And I had to release my bow. And when I released, the deer see me, he took off. He went out towards the open area. And I knew where I come in from, it was an open, like open field. Yeah. And that's where the other one was too. So I stayed there till dark, just, just shaking my head. And when I went out, I could just barely see through the dim light. The other, the other deer in front of him was a monster. Hmm. And that's the one I just let go. And I had a 15 yard shot on. Well, later on that season, I didn't get nothing that night. I just let it go. But the hunt I remember the most is the one that I didn't even kill at that time. Yep. I walked onto my truck, come back, and I hunted that big one from then on to gun season. That's when I still gun hunted. I ended up shooting that deer. It scored 164, hmm. eight point Mississippi, 164, one eight net. That would have been the state record for Mississippi. 
for about 20 years. I was going to say, that's a big deer from Mississippi. I ended up shooting him with my gun, and that's the year I put my gun up, and yep. I'm now a bow hunter. Gotcha. But I would never forget that in my life. Yeah, that's a good lesson. That's, uh, that's, how, how long did it take you? Take me to get that deer? Yeah. It was right at the end of the season, and I ended up taking that deer about two o'clock in the afternoon, crossing that big opening he was in. Two o'clock. I let him go. Two o'clock. Okay. And he's yep. still in the same area. Wow. He was still in the same area, which this area down there was outside of, I just say where it's at because I don't hunt it no more. It's outside of Orlando, Mississippi. And it was a subdivision on one side. It was hunting club on the other side. So I knew the deer, he, he, you know, he couldn't go to the subdivision with the houses. Right. And he probably was going to stay away from the hunting club. Right. So he stayed there. And the deer, the day I shot him, I was out in the open getting ready to walk in for an afternoon hunt. It was 2 o'clock. He was crossing the field at 2. I ended up shooting him. And I know it was the same deer because I seen him. And beside him was a smaller deer. Well, the next year, I planned on, I done filmed a smaller deer on camera, and my camera guy was up there and couldn't believe I've been letting this deer go, And but that year, I planned on taking him. Well, the next year, uh, I went out of town hunting. I wasn't going to hunt in Mississippi until late that year, and my camera guy ended up uh, telling one of his friends where my stand was, and he went and climbed my stand up in the morning of gun season. All that gun at Walmart the night before went and shot at 150. <laughs> Out of my stand. Whoops. So that was the end of my camera guy. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, that's, that doesn't, that's, yeah. that's not a uh, formula for long-term employment. No, it's not. No. And that was the end of it. And that was my last year uh, when I decided to put my gun down and strictly bow hunt. Now I'm strictly a bow hunter for now. Gotcha. Very cool. Bye. Yeah. What, um, what do you have for future projects for Chris Cordell? What's, uh, where are you going next? The main thing I'm doing right now, I've got, I worked for many of the companies in the past, and I helped them design different bows, different guns, uh, Nikon scopes. Um, I never put my name on them because I was working for them at the time, and that's what I did for them. I designed for them. And right now, I'm thinking about putting out my own product line and getting them out on the market. And one reason I'm trying to do that is because a lot of the products out on the market today are way overpriced. Some of them don't work. And I'm trying to come out with a better product at a cheaper price just to help the hunter. Hmm. That way the everyday hunter can afford a good product. Gotcha. Very cool. And then I also plan on, in the future, I'm still going to be filming for TV and DVD, which everybody tells me DVD's out. But I believe if you come out with a good DVD, they will still sell. Yeah. But I'm going to probably try to do a double again in the future, like I did in the past. Gotcha. Very cool. Chris, I've got 10 rapid-fire questions for you, more of a personality test to kind of get to know you better. Uh-oh. I know. Okay. Everybody, <laughs> everybody says that when they get to this this part. <laughs> but don't worry, everybody's done fine. Yes, sir. All right. What's your number one hunting tip of all time? Stay in the woods. I kind of figured you were going to say that. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> what... Uh, what? We all have these devices or things that drives us crazy if we leave it at in the truck or at home. Do you have anything like that? What's that one thing for you? For me, would probably be a deer call. For others, it would probably be their telephone. Right. Gotcha. What's your biggest pet peeve in life? I really don't have one. Okay. Honest. <laughs> cool and collective. I'm a good going like guy. It. Easy to get along with. Easy going guy. All right. Yes, sir. All right. How old are you? You said you're 53? 53. Just 53. About, about two weeks ago, I was 53. All right. Happy birthday. What? Thank you. 
Knowing what you know today about you and life at age 53, what would you tell the 27-year-old Chris Cordell if you could have a conversation with him? Set your goals and don't ever give up. That's the best words I can give anybody. Don't never give up on anything. Gotcha. Give it all you've got and don't let nobody tell you you can't do anything because you can do anything you really want to. Gotcha. Very good. You're at a hunting convention somewhere in the world and a stranger comes up to you and asks you what you do for a living. What do you, what would you say? Help the world of hunters. Very nice. What did you have for breakfast this morning? French toast. <laughs> French toast. All right. French nice. toast. All right. You're given your own billboard. It's a blank canvas on the side of a highway. You can put anything you want on it. What would it say? Can I help you with your honey? Very cool. If I say the word successful to you, who's the first person that pops into your head and why? Jim Crumbly. Jim Crumbly. That's that's a first on this show. Okay. What's a typical day in your life look like? Work. All right. Hard work. All right. And then what's a typical... Nothing's easy. What's that? Nothing's easy. Nothing's I work easy. hard every day. Okay. Even at my age. All right. And then finally, what's a deer hunting day in your life look like? Rememberable. Every day I spend in the woods, I remember every one of them and love it. Okay. Kill or no kill. And it sounds like you're early to rise if necessary. Just depends on the day and the situation. That's right. Yes, sir. All right. All right. Very good. Well, Chris, this has been a great hour. It's amazing how quickly it goes. What, uh, where, if, if we've created more questions than answers for people as they listen to this, where can they reach out to hit you up for, uh, they, for more? Yeah, they can, they can uh, write me on email, one non-typicalhunter at gmail.com. One, one non-typicalhunter at gmail.com? Yep. All right, very good. One. Yes, sir. All right, what about social media? Any places they can check you out? I'm on Facebook right now. Um, okay. I got on there, which I'm probably behind more than most people. I only got on there about three years ago and um, because I got hurt and out of everything so long. But I got on there to try to connect with some old fans and old hunting buddies and stuff. But if they want to write me on Facebook, right now it's full. But I'm fixing probably delete about half of what I got on there. Okay. So just send me a friend request. If you're a hunter, I'll be glad to add you to my list. Gotcha. Very good. Chris, I got to say it's been an honor and a pleasure, and it, it was worth the wait, my friend. Well, thank you, and I hope we can do this again. Well, I do appreciate Chris coming on the show. It sounds like he's trying to kind of pick up where he left off and get back into the hunting industry. Certainly a very talented hunter, and I just I felt like it was time to have him on the show. I've been and asking him to come on uh, for quite a while, and we finally put it all together. And, um, he's just he's one of those guys that just gets it done. And, and as you know, as you listen to the show over the years, uh, we like to know how these guys do it. And we dissect them. We dissect these world-class deer hunters bit by bit, piece by piece, figure out how they do it so you can do it too. Again, thanks to Chris Cordell. Dusty, do we have a Chubby Tines tip of the week? I do, Jay. I always try to have something in my sleeve, up my sleeve for this. I know you do. So I'm, uh, I test you every week, but you always come up with some something good. So lay it on me. The Chubby Tines tip of the week is sponsored by Morse's Sporting Goods. Firearms, use firearms, bows, use bows. Located at 85 Kentuckuk Falls Road in Hillsborough, New Hampshire. Give Jim a call at 603-464-3444, morse'ssportinggoods.com. Your dollars go further in New Hampshire. There's no sales tax. Morse's Sporting Goods. You know, Jay, that uh, that time of year when we hit to the tree stand, and uh, a lot of guys don't like to share their location or where they're going or what they're doing. But, uh, you know, I, there's always that thought in the back of my mind, what if? What if something happens? What if the unthinkable happens while you're in your tree stand or in the ground blind, back way back in the woods? 
what if? It always crosses my mind, and if it doesn't cross you as the listener, as one of our hunting friends, it should. You know, it, it, accidents happen, and, and nobody's perfect. That I've been hunting a long time, but I'll be telling you that, that I'm not perfect in the in the woods. You know, my mind's thinking hunting, and you know, safety is a, definitely a priority. But it's furthest from my mind to have an accident. So keep that in mind. And, and where I'm leading up to this is make sure that somebody knows where you're at. Uh, there's a lot of remote locations that you got tree stands hung. And you think to yourself, how many people actually know where that tree stand is if something happens? And if nobody knows where that tree stand's at, that could be your difference between life and death. That that extra 30 minutes they got to take to look for you after a, a freak accident has happened could change your life of making it or not. So either draw yourself maps to give to your spouses or your best friend, somebody you can trust. Just let somebody know where you're hunting at. You ain't got to go into detail, but at least get them in that general direction in the area where your tree stands are. That way, if the unthinkable happens, somebody can get to you. That's Chubby Tiny's Tip of the Week. Love it. Love it. Sometimes we overlook that stuff, but it's so important to stay safe and have a plan before you even step foot into the woods and let your loved ones know where you're going to be. Give them a map. I know you don't want to share that with all your buddies sometimes, uh, but at least let your your loved ones know exactly where to find you um, just in case something goes wrong so uh and give them a time that you're coming back that's that's a big one dusty where can we find you when you're not hanging out here in the studios with me uh, shoot me an email dusty at bigbuckregistry.com you can look me up on instagram and twitter at chasing antler facebook.com forward slash chubby tines outdoors jay where can the people reach out to you or you're not on the mic Likewise, you can shoot me an email, jay at bigbuckregistry.com, and you can visit us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. We're also on Twitter, which is twitter.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. We are also on Instagram, instagram.com forward slash bigbuckregistry, and YouTube, which is youtube.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. On YouTube, you can listen to all of our podcasts in their entirety. As far as videos are concerned, it's a boring video, but the audio content is there, so you can actually listen to our podcast. You can also listen to all of our live shows that we've done on Thursday nights when we do do them, and we've gone back and interviewed, re-interviewed a lot of our previous guests we had on the show just to put a face to a voice. Let's put it that way. You can always listen to our show on other places as well, not just YouTube. We're found on Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, and as an Amazon Alexa skill, go to Alexa and say, Alexa, enable Big Buck Registry. And if you would like to submit a buck to our page for consideration and be featured on our page in front of 250,000 diehard deer hunting fans, all you have to do is go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash my buck and all of the instructions will be right there. I think that's pretty much everywhere we're at. I think that's a wrap, Dusty. That's a whole lot of big buck, Jay. Sure is. I'm Jay Scott. I'm Dusty Phillips. And this is the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. Yeah.